ghosts, specters, whatever you want to call them, they've been around for thousands of years. Apparently she died from a tooth infection in one of the upstairs rooms in the house. As in the locations they haunt. History of a Haunting podcast tells you all about these famous, infamous, and almost famous locations. And why they became terrifying places to visit. Grab a glass of wine and settle in with your hosts, Archie. I mean, that was definitely the wrong thing to do. And Carrie. Nobody asked for it, Carrie. Nobody fucking asked for it. But hey, my podcast, and I'll say what I fucking want. (laughs) Two people just winging it in life and this podcast. So enjoy this week's episode of History of a Haunting. This is History of a Haunting. This is Laura, your host. Oh my God, what did I, I totally can't do it now because I can't stop laughing. <laughs> I was like, what am I supposed to say? I'm all petting Leia and I hear you and I'm like, no, she already fucked it up. <laughs> all right, so begin. Okay. Just hi, welcome to History of a Haunting. I am okay, your host, I Laura. Are you sure? Yeah, fuck off. You're the one that fucked it up last time. So all of this is going on the blooper reel, right? A thousand percent. <laughs> By the way, we now have four of them going. Hi, welcome to History of a Haunting. I am your host, Laura. I am your host, Archie. And I am your host, Carrie. Oh, nobody's going to go after that. Oh, sorry. Right. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. So, Carrie, do you have any EVPs? Uh, no, actually, I don't have any EVPs this week. Uh, Archie, do you have any EVPs? I do not. I do believe, however, that Laura has one. I do. It is a correction. We call it a Laura talks out of her ass correction. Um, on <laughs> our mean, last episode. I'm tuning in. Go on. Do, do we need to send <laughs> a different microphone setup? <laughs> <laughs> I might need an extra one. Just <laughs> one that affixes to the chair. <laughs> um, so, in our last episode, um, we were discussing the neighborhood in DC known as Foggy Bottom, and I correlated it to a old jazz song that I love, um, which it is not the same. The old jazz song is called froggy bottom and has literally nothing to do with the DC neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) If you would like to hear the song froggy bottom, you can find it. Uh, My favorite version is the Kansas city music soundtrack. Uh, You can find it on YouTube. Uh, It's the best place I can find it and enjoy. It's a great old jazz standard. And but they have literally nothing to do with each other. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so, uh, don't take her word for music. Um, and uh, <laughs> maybe well, it's found on YouTube, not- maybe it's not. <laughs> I mean, clearly, I her credibility is called into question. Oh, please. <laughs> I mean, no, it really, between us, like, when no. When did it start? <laughs> <laughs> you should literally never listen to anything I say. One, <laughs> I agreed to do this dumbass show. <laughs> Two. <laughs> I clearly make bad decisions 
constantly. I mean, I think <laughs> she said it on day one, in fact. Right. So, yes, I do love jazz. That is a great jazz song. And you can listen to it in the Foggy Body in the neighborhood of D.C. if you choose. Just know it didn't come from there. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely need to do that now. Like, now that needs to be, like, what, like a, what should we call it? Sca- <gasps> we should call it a history of a haunting scavenger hunt. <laughs> <laughs> the next clue will be in next week's episode, depending on what we fuck up today. Uh, <laughs> pretty sure that's going to be a constant, uh, every week thing. The Lord talks out of her ass corrections. Oh, yeah. And they can be clues to the history of a haunting scavenger hunt. We're nothing if not consistent. With <laughs> right? Pretty sure I can do that all the time. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. Well, um, thank you for the correction that Archie and I didn't know was a fuck up. Um, our listeners probably did because they're pretty spot on. But um, <laughs> which is why we're. Very I had great- to redeem myself. <laughs> Which is why we're pretty grateful to our listeners because um, they stick with us even though they're like, these bitches are dumb as fuck. Uh, also, it's livery. And it means uniformed. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, um, today's episode is brought to you by one of our new Patreons, Margaret. It is a listener suggestion that she gave to us. And Laura actually... If you might figure this out, because we did, I did forward you and Archie her emails. So do you? So now I totally know what it is. You do know what it is. Uh, It's West Point, right? It is. Yes. Yay! I did read the email. Yay! Thanks, Margaret. (laughs) Yes. So, Margaret, uh, thank you so much for the suggestion. It's an amazing story. I had no idea that West Point was haunted and it ended up being a treasure trove of hauntings. So um, yeah, so this episode is for Margaret and actually Margaret, I'm sorry, it's actually for Paul. And Paul is her adorable three-year-old son who apparently finds it super hysterical when the three of us are laughing because it sends him into peals of giggles. So (laughs) to hear us laughing, so this episode is for beautiful little Paul and uh, thank you to his mother, Maggie, for the listener suggestion. So Arch, uh, why don't you just jump right in to your part? Oh boy. Well, I had to, oh, I had to try, I had to try really hard to get this down to two pages. Oh, I was just going to say, please don't tell me that it was another situation where there were like 500 West Point military academies and you had to figure out which one I was talking about. Oh, no. I mean, if I'm trying to talk about the West Point Academy in New York, I would be talking for at least an hour straight for the history. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I really, I really had to cut this down. Oh, Okay. Well, I'm excited then because Archie always, when he has a big, big history, he always finds the best parts to present. And I hope I don't let you down because everything I am reporting, I found on Britannica.com. Oh, cool. You don't need to worry about letting me down. We have paying listeners, though. All right. Well... United States Military Academy, by name West Point Academy, Institution of Higher Education for the Training of Commissioned Officers for the United States Army. It was originally founded as a school 
for the U.S. Corps of Engineers with a class of five officers and 10 cadets on March 16th, 1802. It is one of the oldest service academies in the world. Framed by the Hudson Highlands and poised above the Hudson River, the academy currently occupies about 16,000 acres in Orange County, New York, about 50 miles north of New York City. I'm sorry, oh, how many thousand acres? 16,000 acres. Good God, or, okay. Oof, yeah. It's it's a lot of it's a lot of space. Okay, sorry, go on. I, I just I wasn't expecting that, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Although the site of West Point had been occupied continuously by troops since 1778, it did not become US government property until 1790. Although the site of West Point had been occupied continuously by troops since 1778, it did not become U.S. government property until 1790, when, at the request of its owner, Stephen Moore, Congress appropriated the property, appropriated the money for its purchase. Subsequent acquisitions were made from time to time. In 1795, George Washington called for a national academy to train military officers. West Point, a military fortress during the American Revolution, was the site chosen. At the outbreak of the American Revolutionary War, both the colonists and the British had recognized the importance of gaining possession of the Hudson River Valley, and West Point became the strategic key to its defense. General George Washington established his headquarters there in 1779. In 1780, Major General Benedict Arnold, who was then in command at West Point, attempted to betray it to the British. When Arnold's treason, treason was discovered, he fled to the enemy, and the fort was saved by the swift intervention of a force under the command of Anthony Wayne. It's okay, Aaron. He caught it. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, American General Benedict Arnold, commander of West Point, persuading British Major John Andre to conceal in his boot plans regarding the surrender of the garrison. In the notorious meeting of September 21st, 1780, Arnold agreed to betray his post in exchange for... 20,000 pounds. The founding of an American, American military school had been proposed by General Henry Knox in 1776, and Washington and Alexander Hamilton repeatedly urged adoption of the plan. During the revolution, the United States would be forced to rely on foreign military technicians, such as Baron von Steuben, and it was clear that the young country needed to develop its own officer corps. Washington, who was himself an engineer, also felt that the mastery of military technology required extended study and could not be acquired by practice alone. It was not until March 16, 1802, however, that Congress passed the act establishing the United States Military Academy at West Point. The academy opened on July 4th 
1802. And what a fitting day to open. Before 1812, it was conducted as an apprentice school for military engineers and, in effect, as the first U.S. school of engineering. During its ear... During its early years, however, the institution suffered from a lack of proper organization and discipline. An Act of Congress of April 29, 1812, reorganized the academy and increased the authorized strength of the Corps of Cadets to 250, expanded the staff of the academy, and established a four-year curriculum. What year was this? 1812. Okay, okay. This legislative goal was not effective until the superintendency of Colonel Sylvanus Thayer, who became known as the, quote, father of the military academy, end quote. Under Thayer's leadership, the academy produced military technicians whose skills were adaptable to meet the civil engineering needs for the program of internal improvement that accompanied America's westward expansion. An act of Congress on July 13, 1866, allowed the selection of a military academy superintendent from the branches of the other army other than the Corps of Engineers. The Academy is under the immediate supervision and control of the Department of the Army, exercised through the superintendent, who is vested to the immediate military command of the Academy and the military post. Okay, I'm sorry, I have to interject here. (laughs) You were like, I have so many big words. And then you're like, is... These. <laughs> I was like, these are, wow, <laughs> these aren't really that big, but it there's a lot of hard. There's a lot of small words in between the big words. Okay. Yes, I, I apologize. Words are hard. He's taking exactly. his refuge in the small words. I mean, right? <laughs> he knew all the big ones, and then he was like, is the, like, okay, I got this. <laughs> Bring it back Take in. A Take a breath. You got Bring it. it back in. End it out. You're right. The. Words are hard. It's on a sticker. It's fine. The goal of the educational program is to instruct and train the Corps of Cadets so that each graduate will have the qualities and attributes essential to continued development through a lifetime career as an officer in the Army. The four-year course of college-level education and training leads to a Bachelor of Science degree and a commission as a second lieutenant in the Army. The curriculum, That's actually really impressive. It's very impressive. That's really impressive, yeah. yeah the, I believe that anybody that graduates West Point, they all go in as officers. So, Yeah, see, that's... Wow. I could be totally wrong, but I believe <laughs> <laughs> caveat. I'll be caveat that so I don't have to say it in the next step. It's, it, it's fine. <laughs> they are officers of the uh, core of the Foggy Bottom and uh, <laughs> lead the jazz band. I mean, who doesn't want to be an officer of the Foggy Bottom? Go on. Wow. I mean, I'm not sure because I won't be able to see what I'm looking at. (laughs) Okay. Detour. And (laughs) let's all try to circle back. We all took that train right off the tracks. Okay. Sorry. West Point, we apologize. I'm sure they're listening. The curriculum is based between mathematics and basic and engineering sciences 
the humanities, and social sciences, military science, and physical education. Cadets must be at least 17 years of age, but not yet 23 at the time of their appointment. In addition, they must be unmarried and have no legal obligation to support children. And females cannot be pregnant when they enlist. Wait, is this current conditions or 1863? Um, actually, today. Oh, yeah. But the most amazing thing happened, I believe, and I'm probably going to say this wrong, so go with me here. Froggy um, Bottom. <laughs> But one of the first years that women were allowed into West Point, I believe that's a good percentage of the women in the top 10% or the top 10% of the classes were actually women. Like the women came in and really just killed it, um, which I think is so great. Once, once we were finally allowed to come in, um, the women that were allowed in were so phenomenal and did such an amazing job. They just crushed it and I just well, they had, they had, that when they graduated that they just blew it out the water they had yeah. they had a lot to prove mm-hmm. and women were not Absolutely. women were not allowed to attend until 1976 which actually seems kind of soon I think I, 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 I feel like that's I felt like I, I, I just guess I expected you to say like 86 or 96 or something. I don't know. I feel like it's still well over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Before yeah. We're allowed. Huh. And they have more than proven themselves. And yet the stigma remains. It always will. Didn't they just put out that women were allowed to grow their hair long and wear it in a braid in oh, the military? <laughs> like that oh, was just like two weeks ago. <laughs> Let's let's not even talk about African American women being allowed to have their natural hair. I mean, that's that's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. All right. Sorry. Go on. Uh, all applicants must have a high school education or its equivalent, and must take scholastic aptitude tests and a medical examination before admission. The I disagree. Great- I'm sorry. I, just, I was like, that's not fair. Sorry, go on. Well, you can't disagree with something I'm saying as a fact. Well, I, I do because, you know, I didn't graduate high school traditionally. It's fine. Well, no, it's high school education or it's equivalent. Okay, I didn't have that either for a long time. Anyway, I'm just well, saying. Neither do I, but I have the equivalent. Are you applying to West Point? Because you're like 30 years out of date. <laughs> I'm sorry, 20 years. We will be holding auditions for a new host for History of a House <laughs> that will not call Carrie old. I got well, hurt old. today, and I'm holding on to that. As I told you, you have to be here. between 17 and 23. I could what? be 23, dude. Yo, I could totally be 23. Or you can have a 23-year-old, but who's counting? <laughs> <laughs> Which I basically do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm sorry, I've derailed this entirely. All on my own. Go on, Archie. Only 23-year-olds, and they have to be exceptional women with high IQs. And not pregnant. <laughs> the great majority of appointments to the Academy are made by U.S. senators and representatives. 
in a typical year, more than 15,000 young men and women apply for admission to West Point. Roughly one-fourth of applicants reach the nomination stage, and half of them are rated as qualified for admission. Fewer than 10% of applicants, some 1,200 prospective cadets, total enrollment is typically about 4,400. Citizens of more than 150 other countries, if fully qualified, may also be admitted to the academy, although total enrollment of international cadets is capped at 60. As, as I mentioned before, women were first admitted to the academy in 1976. The academic year lasts from August to May, inclusive. The third class sophomores receive extensive field training at the training areas on the academy reservation. The second and first classes, juniors and seniors, obtain supplementary instruction at other army training centers. The second class also takes part in joint amphibious maneuvers with the midshipmen from the United States Naval Academy at Annapolis, Maryland. First classmen serve as instructors for the new fourth class freshmen, which enters the academy in July, and they also assist in training the third class. So basically, it is... The higher, the higher classes... Teach the lower, mm-hmm. the oh, lower below them. So fourth is freshman, third sophomore, second junior, first senior, or it's, the other way around. It's just like high school, and goddamn, I hope it's not just like high school. <laughs> Basically, is it like Harry Potter, where the first years are the youngest, <laughs> or <laughs> is it? Can you explain the military to me and Harry Potter lingo? Who is first boy? I need to know. I know. I mean, yeah. Who is the head prefect? Who's winning Quidditch? I don't understand. Basically. Uh, So, yeah. So the first years are the seniors. Do they like count down? Four, three, two, one? Or? The the older kids. Kind of like one, two, three, four. Yeah, the older kids, you see younger ones. Sure, yeah, but so freshmen are considered what? First years or fourth year? First it would be four, four three, two, one. Okay. Four, yeah, first years. Fourth, fourth class are the freshmen. Thank you. That's what I was wanting to know. Okay. Now I'm confused. So it's nothing like Harry Potter. Gotcha. Continue. <laughs> Oh, so Carrie, not going to find a military man this way. <laughs> that ain't happening. All right. Well, that's actually the end of my portion. The most confusing part is the end of your portion. I'm what? kidding. I'm totally Should kidding. Be. Because it's uh, please don't go any further because I can't follow <laughs> much more. We're already lost. Great job. As always, Archie. Great job. That that had to be really hard to kind of pare down. But you, it, you, you know what? All praise should go to Britannica.com. Why? Because they had like 26 pages on West Point. But you I, chose. I, I I I might they deserve credit for what they've written. I deserve sure. credit for editing it to two pages (laughs) okay yes you deserve credit for picking out like the highlights and the 
the give yourself some credit. Every time I'm like, great job. And he's like, I had a great source. Okay. <laughs> yes. But you do pick and choose from that source. So. And you make it all cohesive for us. Exactly. Right. Okay. Bring well, home. Thank you very much. I appreciate You're welcome. It. All right, Laura, round of applause for Archie. Okay, um, whether it be first years, fourth years, freshmen, sophomores, pregnant women, they can wear braids and you know, international spies or not, uh, this place has some motherfucking ghosts. So. Let's bring it on. I'm okay. ready. Also, For by the way, head. Ricky Rocket is now a paranormal investigator and that is who I'm going to use all of my contacts to try to get me on an investigation list. <laughs> Goals, men. A thousand percent. I will totally go anywhere. If we can do that. Also, I think your dad might be a little jealous. Like, let's just get all the I might the have poison. to take my dad. <laughs> I might have to bring him. What really happens with jealous? Right? He's not going to be jealous. He's going to be on the plane. Right? <laughs> my God. Carry, he's like, I carry her bags. It's fine. Yes. She's a famous podcaster. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> We're going to meet Poison. Mm-hmm. A thousand percent. Are you guys ready for the hauntings at West Point Military Academy? Am I saying that right, Archie? Is it Military Academy or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So I got, I, I love when we do military sites. So like when we did Kadena Air Base, in Okinawa, Japan, like I love when we do military sites because a lot of the the um, the sources that I get my haunting information from are military websites, and I love that because I feel like that sort of you know how Laurel we were talking last week when you know when there are police reports involved and we I was like I love when the police are involved because that sort of just adds a an element of legitimacy to a claim absolutely and it creates a record right yes. there are outside people that clearly have no agenda yep. right they're just investigating an occurrence lights on a door being opened right it creates a level of legitimacy absolutely and a yes. record which is what i really appreciate too yep. yes yes so mm-hmm. i love when we do military installations um because, so my sources for this episode are army.mil, sandbox.us, hauntedhouses.com, and newyorktimes.com. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. Nobody was impressed until I said the New York Times. <laughs> 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 but. I mean, it's the New York Times. Come on. I mean, obviously much more than, you know, the army's website, but sure. Anyway, um, you know, I love to start my part out with a good quote, and I found this on army.mil. It reads as follows, quote, the U.S. Military Academy's buildings are covered with textured granite, turrets, and perched gargoyles that gaze over cadets as they go about their day. Inside the large wooden doors, they walk through dimly lit hallways with triangular stone arches and wrought iron windows. You can sort of see how I made that Harry Potter connection, but that's Mm. about as far as that goes. Um, (laughs) 
Cadets over the years said they have shared a feeling as if they were being observed by an unseen presence just to find no one there, while others have reported encountering apparitions in the middle of the night. This was frequently documented during the 1970s when a ghost visited the barracks. In 1972, West Point experienced an explosion of national inquiry and publicity because of a well-documented apparition that attracted famous demonologists, ghost hunters, and psychic mediums of the last century to investigate. But that is just one of West Point's ghostly tales. The stories that I'm about to tell you are sourced from more than 40 years of correspondence, articles, and book excerpts collected by the USMA historians. Hmm. See, that's wow. so good. Yeah. Yeah. The record. That's what I mean. And that's what we were just talking about. A thousand percent. So there are, um, very similar to Kadena Air Base, Archie, there are um, specific rooms and barracks on West Point's campus that are predominantly haunted. So mm-hmm. I'm going to start with the most haunted, room 4714. So In 1972, Jim O'Connor, who was a freshman at the time, so he would be a fourth year, year four, freshman, four. God. Don't look it up. I just feel. Never at this point. Okay. (laughs) So he was a freshman at the time. He had his first encounter with something. Now, during a late night trip to the latrine, is where this encounter occurred. Now, Laura, I know that you have listened to a lot of our episodes and I know that our listeners, I'm sure have listened to every single episode, but when Archie and I talk about ghost haunting bathrooms, we don't love it. (laughs) We talk about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We don't love It it. It's bad enough when a person pops up and you're trying to take a poo, let alone a ghost. Like, nobody needs that. <laughs> and in America, we have the bathrooms with the crack. Like, there's just too much going on. Is somebody in there? Yeah, it's yeah, not great. Like, no. <laughs> it's not great. Yeah. You need your privacy. A thousand percent. Um, I this bathroom to be alone and have a personal moment. Exactly. Um, I actually believe Archie in the Queen Mary episode, we talked about a ghost haunting the men's bathroom. And um, you had said something to the effect of um, you don't acknowledge anybody that's talking to you when you're standing at the urinal, even if they say something complimentary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, It's a guy code. Don't do it. Yep. Guy code, don't make eye contact, don't look at his peen. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> um, my story starts in the, the latrine. Oh, God. <laughs> so, Jim O'Connor, he tells of how his roommate, Victor, had gone to, he was in the latrine, he had done his business, and he went to flush the urinal. Uh, but the handle actually went down before he touched it. And then... <laughs> And then the toilet paper started unrolling from the roll. Um, So he left and um, went and got his roommate O'Connor. And when they went back to the the latrine, 
uh, half the roll was unrolled and piled on the floor. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't even, I have so much to say about this. Um, they were actually one of the few cadets there because just about all of the upperclassmen were taking advantage of what was a long weekend at the school. Um, I feel like there's a lot of judgment with this apparition. Mm. You know, flushing fast enough. And also I think you need all this toilet paper. Okay. Well, um, there's not any toilet paper at the urinals. But. So I'm a little confused. But in the 70s at West Point, do you know that there wasn't? Well, I don't know for a fact, but I can tell you urinals. Today don't have toilet paper. I would say that they probably wouldn't either then. They'd probably be more basic. Yeah. I would say go backwards, not forward. I mean, you don't need to wipe your ass when you're pissing in a urinal. And if you do, you're in the wrong spot in the bathroom. (laughs) Pretty much. Thank you for catching that, like, but... Okay, anyway. (laughs) Anyway, on another trip to the latrine, O'Connor, the roommate, caught sight of a full-bodied apparition sitting on the toilet. So in the 70s, I'm guessing there wasn't a lot of privacy going on, and maybe that's the case. Maybe in a military school... Like, there isn't that much privacy going on in a bathroom. Maybe there are toilet paper. Maybe there are, like, to- like if you think about, like, if you're in a war zone and you got to take a crap, there probably aren't a whole lot of private places to do that. So maybe, yeah, I mean. probably have your own toilet paper on your person. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Yeah, you know, like, maybe. So anyway. The, hmm? you gotta sh- it's like camping. You got a shovel. You got your. Toilet paper you need? Do you, oh. you just made a face like you've never been camping like I that. I have never been camping like that. Oh. Okay. Oh, God. Are we going back on the camping thing? No, we're not going back to camp. <laughs> good. But good, just because saying. Archie pretty much told you how he felt about that. Right. <laughs> and he's not going to feel any better about this story at all. So oh. if you're camping out in the real wilderness, you have to go dig yourself a little hole. Fill it up and then cover it back up and be done. So when and you're out so, hiking in the wilderness, you're basically just walking hiking, on like... This is like, nobody should be pulling over to take a shit on the, the side of Camelback Mountain on like hiking. Like hold it or go to the bathroom. No, no. You're talking about camping, but people do tend to hike through camp areas. So when you're camping, you just dig a hole and cover it, poop and cover it up. So what if there's like a random cyclist or hiker that's just like hiking through poop piles? I I love. Are we always just hiking through? (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking like backcountry where they're just and like you're out in the wilderness. I said out in the wilderness, like there's not. There are people that hike in, but. Poop piles. Yes, and those people should go to the bathrooms that are provided, not just pull over <laughs> and take a I'm talking about in the middle of nowhere. I'm saying they are already hiking, hiking on campers' poop piles. <laughs> <laughs> 
I can't even deal so with good. this. So good. <laughs> I don't know who's hiking on campers poop trails. You're just making stuff up. <laughs> I feel like you're making stuff up. There's no way. Why? In the middle of nowhere, and you have to go off. Okay, so well, animals then, don't come. Yes. Okay, but so no animals on a hiking trail, like maybe the people are hiking out in the middle of the wilderness. Well, that happens like the Appalachian Trail or what is the big uh, the Pacific Coast one? Um, anyway, yeah, they're probably. So why do I have to pick up after my trail, dog? But I don't have to pick up myself. I pick up after myself. You do. You have to dig a hole. <laughs> you basically need to kitty litter that shit. <laughs> so, is a bag for my dog? No, not a bag. You just need to dig a hole and then cover it now up. Now you have to dig multiple holes for me and my dogs. If you do that, people probably would be fine with it. I'm sorry. Camping is far too ridiculous and exhausting. I can't deal with it. Archie is like, where did this go? <laughs> there are four seasons for a reason. Bottom oh. bottom line, there's toilet paper in a latrine at this academy. Okay. okay. On another trip to the latrine, O'Connor caught sight of a... F- Here's where it went off the rails. I forgot. <laughs> O'Connor caught sight of a full-bodied apparition sitting on the toilet. Laura, It's wants- not our... F- I have nothing to say anymore. In a later interview, he was able. <laughs> I really should have thought this research there. In a later interview, he was able to offer specific details about its appearance, sharing that it wore, in his own words, quote, he was in a worn full gray dress coat, an 1823 cavalry uniform, and wielded a Civil War era musket complete with a bayonet. What stood out to him most were the eyes, or rather, lack of eyes. Don't love that. That's I mean, it's not ideal. <laughs> it's not ideal. I mean, <laughs> for sure. The whole situation is not ideal, but that made it far less. Um, he said, quote, I was caught up with the eyes. They were white. They glowed and they had no discernible color. Ew. Mm. Creepy. During this moment, the apparition dissipated and eventually disappeared just as quickly as it had appeared. Um, Being a fourth year or a freshman or a plebe, as I'm going to continue to call them from now on, a plebe. (laughs) At the time this all happened, O'Connor wasn't looking to bring any perceivably off-kilter attention to himself or to his roommate, Victor, who by now had also experienced some sightings of his own. And O'Connor actually didn't need to wait long for others to back up his story with at least five additional reports of this entity over just the next few days. Oh, wow. Yeah. So one night, the temperature in their room kept dropping. They both thought it was the radiator. Like maybe it was on the fritz. Now, again, it was in 1972. So, you know... When I think of West Point, I think of, I think of the academy that trained our Civil War officers. You are correct. Looking at it, Victor and Jim O'Connor <laughs> looked at it and they saw something in the radiator or like around the radiator. 
And so Victor asked O'Connor if he saw that, and he said that he did. What they saw was a dark, shadowy torso. You know how I can't stand a random body part, Archie? (laughs) (laughs) A dark, shadowy torso of a man hovering about five feet above the floor. And this torso hovered about 30, 20 to 30 seconds before it faded away. So these poor dudes, I'm going to tell you what, like, I hope they grew up to be like functioning members of society because their story, I'm just scratching the surface. So a few nights later, Victor had actually laid a pair of his drawers on his bed. And by that, I mean underwear. (laughs) and went to take a shower. While he was gone, the OC and the CO had stopped by to talk to his roommate, O'Connor. When Victor came back in about five minutes, he noticed that his bed had been turned down. So when he left, he had like laid a pair of drawers on his bed and it was made because obviously they have like, you know, it's a military school. You have, you know, he went to take a shower and his, his OC and his CO had stopped by to talk to his roommate. He came back from the shower and his bed was turned down. And I was like, okay, maybe he's staying at the Biltmore. Sure. He wasn't. (laughs) The men said that it wasn't, it didn't happen while they were there. And they actually would have noticed if someone had come in and turned down just his bed. Mm, So it was a very odd, a very odd situation, a very odd occurrence. So the next night, The temperature in the room dropped again, and again, they waited for this apparition. Like, now it's sort of just become an expectation. Um, Sure enough, the apparition came out of the wall by Victor's bed above his locker, walked around the room, and then disappeared by Victor's alcove. So, like, where his trunk was stored. Okay. He then reappeared by O'Connor's alcove walked right through that alcove where O'Connor's trunk was stored. It then marched over to them both, stared at them for a few seconds, and then disappeared. Oh. Laura, you, you've got that I-need-to-talk face. <laughs> well, not only does it sound very Harry Potter-esque, um, like at first I was wondering what the radiator, like... <clears throat> You know how heat can look like on a road when it pops up and it can make like a mist. Sure. So it's kind of thinking like, you know, that can explain that. I've lived in old old houses with radiators. Sometimes weird things happen, but roof rats uh, that ring bells. I get it. There are things, um, but more with the old radiators, like they're just super weird, and the heat is not even, and you know, especially when it's really cold, it just can be. Not that I've seen. Torso, I mean, shadow torsos, but I could see the heat coming <laughs> off, right? Like something like a smoke or something very strange um, happening. But now it's like kind of thrown it in a whole other, a whole area. other, yeah, a whole yeah. other area, yeah. Because, because this is like an actual like person coming out of the wall and like marching around and like standing there staring at like say you and I, and we're both like, do you see this guy staring? it's very it's very weird so for sure um (laughs) so this 
apparition stared at them for a few seconds and then it disappeared. Now at this point, the ta- the <laughs> the tactical officer told the CO that he actually had better get to the bottom of this nonsense because the two cadets could not focus on their schoolwork because they were not getting any sleep at night because of the goings on in their room. Mm. So both men, the tactical officer and the CO spent the night in the room. They too felt the cold drops in temperature, but rationalized it away. But about two o'clock in the morning or 0200 for military time, If you didn't know. Um, About 0200, as they were going to sleep, this was a very specific description of what they saw, and I, I wrote it down verbatim in the article that I read. As they were going to sleep, quote, they both saw a three quarter profile of a person's head and neck on the ceiling. One eye was blurry its mouth and nose were black as if someone was holding a flashlight under its chin. It lasted for about two minutes and then it faded away. The next morning, they examined the ceiling and found no trace of spots, water stains or footprints and found nothing to explain it. It wasn't a shadow from the window. The windows and doors were shut and the heater had been turned on so high that they were actually sweating before the temperatures in the room dropped and it made them cold that they had to pull over their blankets because they were shivering. Hmm. And this was the upperclassmen that had been sent to the underclass to. So this was, you know, the sixth and seventh years at Harry Potter school going to the (laughs) first and second years to find out what the hell was going on in their rooms. I I found this story, I found this story really interesting, especially how detailed it, a a three quarter profile of a person's head and neck on the ceiling. Mm -hmm. And how it like looked like the mouth and the nose were black as if somebody was holding a flashlight under its chin. But the next day when they tried to find the, the source of this, there was nothing. They could find nothing. And I love how analytical, I mean, you know, college students are in general, right? Right, like, yeah. So they're, like, thinking it through logically. Like, they're yep. trying to find the source of the light. They're trying to figure out what it could have been. Vapor. Anything, yes. Anything. Yeah. And yeah. they can't sort it out. Yeah. Um, and they how they remember how the, they did feel the temperature drop, but they were actually sweating before the temperatures in the room dropped. I thought that was really fascinating. Um, like I said, I can I, I love a haunted military installation. I just feel <laughs> like I feel like if if people like the general public are going to question paranormal claims, they're probably going to pause a little longer if somebody in the military or in a, a or a police officer or somebody in a position of authority, right, right, trained to be skeptical and scrutinize everything if i feel like if if that's who's telling the story i feel like the public in general is going to like maybe take a moment to reconsider maybe what they're saying is true versus say any one of us 
Right, right. And and actually two minutes is can be a long time. That's a long, trust me, editing this shit, two minutes is a <laughs> Do you know how much garbage the three of us can spout <laughs> in two minutes? That's a long time. <laughs> if this podcast has taught me nothing, it's that time is really, really... So relative. <laughs> so relative. God, we can say some stuff in two minutes. I mean, two minutes in an earthquake versus two minutes of viewing an apparition is both a really long time. Yeah. So anyway, another cadet by the name of John Feely, he actually woke up one morning with a crushing feeling as though somebody was sitting on his chest. Now, Archie, I know that you and I have talked a lot and we haven't really delved too much into it, but we've talked about sleep paralysis. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was reading this article, I was like, okay, sleep paralysis. But, and also I say, but, but also I'm like, maybe. So he woke up one morning with a crushing feeling as though someone was sitting on his chest. When he, hi, hi. Hey, I love you. Off you pop. Or play with the toy. Or squeeze. <laughs> no, stop. I know. Here, fix your lip. Okay. Um, when he looked, he, that's when he too saw the white-eyed entity right on top of him. He even tried more than once to sit up and yell, but was unable until it had disappeared. So I think it's interesting that if it was sleep paralysis, and maybe it doesn't say if he had heard the stories of O'Connor or Victor, but... I think it's interesting that he would have seen the same white-eyed entity. True. But I need to know, did he hear the stories of the other two and their description of this apparition? So by this time, word had actually gotten out and it was well known by everybody that something was fucking weird happening in the 47th division barracks according to articles and to o'connor himself there was even an an attempt to exercise the room now what i find interesting about this entire story about the hauntings of west point is that there are some heavy hitter names in the paranormal community involved with the hauntings of this prestigious military school the first one is Jeannie Dixon. And do you guys know who she is? Nope. So, Laura? No. No. So Jeannie Dixon is the psychic who became known nationwide for predicting the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Oh. You both are like, oh, oh, okay. Okay. She actually visited West Point in order to try and spiritually cleanse room 4714. Her visit was cut short, however, when, according to eyewitness accounts, she was unexplainably lifted off the floor, thrown from the room, and never visited the academy again. Oh. Oh, my. So... Following these events, room 4714 was no longer allowed to be used as a barracks room and was said to have been converted into a small study area. Throughout the 1970s, reports of this entity continued and actually picked back up again when former West Point professor, Lieutenant Colonel Timothy O'Neill, published 
Shades of Grey in 1987. No, not that one, Laura. Um, I didn't say anything. <laughs> you don't need to. I know you. It's fine. You hate me. I get it. It's fine. And you guys totally froze for like three seconds for me. <laughs> it was the Shades of Grey, wasn't it? It totally fucked everybody up. <laughs> Be glad, Arch. It's fine. So this particular ghost was by a number of people described as a middle-aged soldier donning an antique uniform from the 1830s, a musket, Shako hat, and I don't know if I'm saying that right, S-H-A-K-O, Shako, Shako, Shako? I, I, Aaron, write that down. Aaron, write that down. That seems right. Does it? Shako. Shako, yeah. Shake, okay. Shako hat and a handlebar mustache. That I do know because my son thinks those are cool and wants one himself. Uh, <laughs> the ghost earned his nickname the Pusher because his ice cold presence forced other victims to lay immobile until the pressure of his hazy, glowing physique disappeared. So I don't know as this is necessarily sleep paralysis arch like we have talked about on a couple of episodes and i don't know laura as this is a shared delusion as you like a share like i don't know as this is the same thing i feel like it's just a little more succinct a little more in detail with number of people but maybe, like, what are your thoughts? Like, I, I'm, I find it, I'm fascinated by your idea of the whole shared delusion thing, because I know that that's very real. So I, I want to explore that a little bit more as far as, like, what do you think in this particular instance about this same, you know, person appearing the very same way, hazy, glowing physique, white eyes, pinning people to their beds and not allowing them to get up like there's a there's kind of a culmination of phenomenon happening here between sleep paralysis and like a shared not delusion but a shared what what did you call it a shared like a power suggestion there you go power suggestion i don't know where i got shared delusion from but i mean all that happens um i think this one does like kind of cross a lot of boundaries because like you said you're talking not just something that you're visually seeing, you're physically feeling it. And I think that that's yeah. where we're crossing the boundary. If you know that these things have happened in a room that you're in, I think it's easy to get that idea in your mind, right? You're having dreams and you're going to have vivid dreams, you know, at some point. Maybe wake up, maybe have this in your dream. Sure. Okay. I can see that. Um the physicality of it, I think kind of takes it to another level because you're, if you're experiencing the same physical feeling, that's really hard to explain. Yes. And it's either, they, they've started calling him the pusher because he is either forcing them to lay immobile or he won't let them light. Like they can't call out for help, which again are symptoms of sleep paralysis. So it's almost, Arch, what do you think? 
I, I really think it's going in on the sleep sleep paralysis because our minds project so many different things that <clears throat> not one experience is really shared, but sometimes they're so specific that it's kind of freaky. That maybe like you've heard a story and this, the, the story, you, maybe you've heard it from a bunch of different people, but it's got the same elements. So your mind mm-hmm. is putting its own twist on the same elements. Yeah, that's, that's, that's that makes what, sense. That's what I was thinking. And I can see, especially in the military too, because it's a very communal society, right? Right. Mm-hmm. That is built on shared experience and shared goals. And it, it, especially in a, in a community like that, like they depend on each other. Right. It's a very closed community. Very, right? very. They close. have to depend on each other. The and trust of every yeah, the trust, trust the experiences 100%. of the others. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's fascinating. I love this. I mean, not for them. Obviously, it's scary, but <laughs> the conversation the three of us are having is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it could be very much heightened in that kind of situation where there's are the people that your life is going to depend on. Yeah. You have this very close society and it is very, your lives are not just intertwined, but interdependent. Art, right? I, I like that. Yeah. Arch, what do you think? That's, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot like podcasters. We're very much like the military. <laughs> <laughs> So so close. I'm, I'm the regiment is like almost the same. Yes, I mean really just <laughs> the physical regiment <clears throat> right there, right there. <laughs> I mean, I almost climbed a wall today. It, I, but mean, I didn't, but I mean, I could have. Oh God, thank God! I would have been so scared. <laughs> Archie and I dug a hole. If that helps. Well, hmm. did you cover it back up though? Oh. Oh, sweetie, we dig holes every day. <laughs> Amen. I feel like the entire podcast is me digging a hole. Basically. <laughs> Join us. You're like, what, seven episodes into 60-something? Archie and I have dug a lot of holes. Catch up. Come with us. Come with us. I am. I, I really feel. Very quickly. I'm <laughs> up. <laughs> So apparently this ghost is also materialized out of the wall in a closet in room 4714. Um, on one occasion, it has risen up from the f- middle of the floor. Uh, once it ruffled the bathrobe of a cadet, on another occasion, it turned on the shower. So it can't really quite decide if it's going to be scary or helpful or I'm not really... It just feels we need a bath. <laughs> indecisive to me, frankly. Kind of. Yeah. So um, <laughs> the cadets that had actually stayed in the room prior had their own weird encounters. Uh, one said, quote, there is no doubt about it at all. The room grew unnaturally cold. It turns out that the hauntings actually continued until mid-November 1972 when the commanding officer, after having spent the night in the room, and he was the one, one of the ones that saw the three-quarter profile of the whatever, um, 
The commanding officer had all the furniture removed from the room and declared the room off limits to the living. Report, this was reported by the New York Times at the time. Quote, yesterday, West Point officials announced that the room had been placed off limits and the two plebes who occupied it had been moved to other quarters. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Patrick Dion said, quote, there is an unexplained phenomenon here. And he was the Academy's information officer. He described himself as a non-believer, but conceded something has happened and we've not been able to explain what it is. Acknowledging that the ghost had become something of a problem, understatement of the century, uh, Colonel Dion explained that hundreds of cadets have since asked for permission to spend the night in the haunted room, and that there was so much talk about the phenomenon that other cadets were not getting their studying done. Oh, God. Wow. <laughs> I would I, be I one mean, of them. Yeah, can you imagine if that happened in dorm room anywhere? Sign me up. Right? Like, it would just be craziness. I I really do find it so entertaining and Mm -hmm. interesting that they acknowledged it publicly, talked about it, Mm -hmm. um, said that they couldn't explain it. Like, that is... Impressive. Yeah, that's really... That's pretty impressive. Leia, settle down, my darling. Thank you. Okay. So uh, also, according to the New York Times, the pusher, as this ghost has become known as, appeared a second time in an area known as the Bureau. One cadet that they interviewed shared that the ghost walked out of a midst of a group of cadets, which caused the group of cadets to scream, clutch each other, and say the rosary. What? <laughs> right? <laughs> Reports of seeing him were sporadic over the following years, but the pusher has not revisited where he had first appeared. Room 4714 is no longer occupied by cadets. The room was converted into a study area and seemingly exercised due to no other paranormal accounts being documented since 1972. The building has since been renamed the Scott Barracks. Hmm. Yes. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk about Quarters 100 or the story of Molly and Greer. Now, the superintendent's superintendent? No, superintendent. <laughs> you got it. I got it. It's good. I can do this. The superintendent's house is known as Quarters 100. For paranormal believers, hello. It serves as a supernatural hotel, given the variety of spirit personalities that come and go. Um, Based on reports, there are two permanent ghost residents that live in Quarters 100 to this day, which I find ultra fascinating. The stories behind them are not that great. (laughs) But what ghost story starts really phenomenal, wonderfully. Um, Former Superintendent Lieutenant General William A. Knowlton invited, do you want to guess who they invited, Archie? Come on, just guess. We've talked about them a number of times. Yeah, Bill and Lorraine Warren. Who? The Warrens. Yes. Also, Bell and Lorraine Warren. That was... No, I said Bill and Lorraine. His name was Ed. 
and Lorraine. Oh, well, I was half. <laughs> I mean, you got Warren right. Well, maybe maybe we should take that break. Okay. <laughs> okay, so let's nice. talk about Molly and Greer. Now, the superintendent's house, I've already said it, starting over. The superintendent's house is known as Quarters 100. For paranormal believers, it serves as a supernatural hotel given the variety of spirit personalities that come and go. Based on several reports, there are two permanent ghost residents to this day. Now, Archie. Former Superintendent Lieutenant General William A. Knowlton invited married demonologists and clairvoyants Ed and Lorraine Warren to perform a psychic investigation and seance in the house in 1972. Apparently 1972 seems to be a really big year for paranormal activity on this (laughs) campus. But Lorraine she actually revealed her psychic impressions of those living in another dimension as she toured the rooms of quarters 100. Um, so the superintendent who invited them, the Warrens there, which I think that speaks very, very highly of the activity going on there and to the reputation of Ed and Lorraine Warren, if a respected for over a hundred years, military school is inviting them to investigate paranormal activity. I think that speaks to both sides. I really, I really, I, I love this whole story. Okay. So the superintendent noted detailed accounts of Lorraine Warren's psychic impressions that she picked up during her investigation. They included descriptions of the spirits and energy present in each room of his home. He wrote them down in a memorandum to the librarian of the academy, requesting they research West Point archives and find evidence that supported Lorraine Warren's claims. So he wasn't just going to take her on her word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was like Laura got real interested here. I thought that was really telling that he was like, great, this is what you say. And he's writing it all down for the librarian to research the archives. I, I, I was like, good. He's not just taking her on her word, which a lot of people have done and could have been kind of burned because I love Ed and Lorraine Warren, but they were not always right. They got some stuff wrong. They just did. And I feel like maybe they didn't get Amityville wrong, but they they might have kind of saddled their horses to the wrong wagon in that one. (laughs) For sure. Anyway, so um, Lorraine described a woman who could be the ghost named Molly, who was an Irish cook who served, oh, Arch, here's your guy, Sylvanius Thayer. Sorry, I give you a ration of shit about that name. Hmm. Hmm. Look at how, look at how, look at that. We need to be on YouTube. You guys need to see the glow of. There's a bit of smugness going on. Little, little bit the of righteous. Are you seeing my smug face? I am a little bit. I'm also appreciating it a little bit. Looking good. Looking good. Looking good. <laughs> 
Warren described a woman who could be the ghost named Molly, who was an Irish cook who served Archie's BFF, Sylvanus Thayer. She is known to rumble the bed linens and knock wine bottles to the floor in the kitchen when she's irritated, which, by the way, I'm about to fucking do. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, um, she is described as not being old, but very domineering, athletically inclined, and really not quite a lady. So that could be, you know, me, Laura, Archie. Any one of us. (laughs) <laughs> None of us are well, Laura's the only one that's athletically inclined. Um, uh, but none of us can be called a lady. <laughs> yeah, we, we ain't no lady. Hey now. You're an all star. Right, fine. I mean. <laughs> um, I like ladies. Yeah. Oh well, you might like this. I get fe- I get a feeling of no man. If she had a husband, he was dominated while at home. Oh, <laughs> Ooh. Oh, I like it. I like it. Call me Molly. Everybody, <laughs> Laura's stage name is Molly. Um, <laughs> so that was the description of, that Lorraine Warren had of this particular entity. Um, others who have worked at Quarters 100 have said that although mischievous, Molly does not mean any harm and is more playful than hurtful in nature. Also like Laura. Yeah, probably. Yeah, look at how cute she is. She's got this cute little face. It's more mischievous than hurtful in nature. Um, Oftentimes, the coverlet on the bed in one room is frequently rumpled as though somebody sat on it. Uh, Though that room is actually barred to visitors. This one, like, bedspread is generally jacked up. Um, Another ghost that actually struck Lorraine Warren with a strong psychic impression was an African-American man named Greer. She shared that Greer is the one responsible for moving objects throughout the home. One example was written in the superintendent's memorandum. When the former superintendent of the Coast Guard Academy and his wife stayed at the house as guests, they actually woke up early in the morning and found a wallet that belonged to another occupant in the home carefully placed between them in bed. Hmm. That's a little weird. Lorraine Warren described this Greer as a tall, slender man in a gray uniform, that he was an orderly to a superintendent and communicated that he carries a deep burden of guilt and sadness from committing murder. So remember when I said that the superintendent had been jotting all of Lorraine Warren's like thoughts down and notes down and he was wanted to give it to his librarian to like research. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The librarian found out that archivists were able to find documented evidence of several African-American men who came through West Point with Greer's name. One of the descriptions that potentially best fits that of the ghost that Lorraine Warren encountered was Lawrence Greer a Buffalo soldier who turned out to be a criminal. 
General prisoner Lawrence Greer was definitely black, formerly a private in Troop C, 9th Cavalry. He escaped from confinement at Fort Leavenworth, Leavenworth in June of 1931 and was apprehended the following April near Albany, Albany, New York. He was brought to West Point and court-martialed for his escape and subsequent desertion. This according to the archives of Chief of the USMA, Stanley Tozeski. So apparently, this Lawrence Greer was found guilty. He was sentenced to two and a half years of hard labor. However, the sentence was disapproved by command of Major General Connor because the prisoner was judged insane at the time of his trial. They said that we have no record of what happened to Private Greer after these events. So, yeah. So the librarians seem motivated, but said that most of Lorraine Warren's descriptions would require of like Molly would require an extensive search of reminiscences from past superintendents, which are not part of the archives holdings. Today, West Point archivists can provide memories from past graduates and professors when they lived at another house. So I think it's really interesting that, again, it's just one of those situations where this is a very respectable site. It's a very, I mean, West Point, God, I mean. When you think of, it conjures up parades and. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And. Uh Yeah, there's so much just with the name that you just think of, right? Like right, exactly. Like the anybody from there, precision, is the almost beyond, like above, beyond an approach. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they're calling in Ed and Lorraine Warren, who have been the subject of skepticism, Arch, I think that there have been a number of locations that we have covered where you have questioned their legitimacy. Yes. Yes, I absolutely. Have. But I also but, have to think, like at the time, they were like the foremost well-known people that in the field dealt yeah. with the paranormal, right? So they would seem like the most respected, just like West Point is the most respected. And um, the fact, exactly, and the fact that they called them in. And then the librarian was able to actually search the archives and find a career who harbored guilt, haunting the place. But then there was this career that like harbored guilt from murder. I, I just I just find that one of the things that I that I found there are coincidences and then there are synchronicities. And a coincidence is a little bit easier to right off but a synchronicity is a pattern and i feel like this with such a respected institution and then and lorraine warren and then like her feelings about the entities in this place were backed up then by archives of this respected institution i feel like that becomes a synchronicity and i feel that it's just sort of one bolsters the other's credibility in this particular story. Synchronicity being something that keeps happening. It's like the universe is trying to tell you something. Exactly. One thing leads to the next thing leads to the next thing. Right. 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 All pushing you in the same direction. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
I felt a little more um, perturbed is the word. Not disturbed, but perturbed at the next haunting. I'm about to tell you guys. This is Quarters 107B and The Lady. So it was reported in email correspondence between several former cadets and the Association of Graduates that a ghostly occupant named The Lady resides at Quarters 107B on Professor's Row, a home overlooking the Hudson River. A professor had apparently once lived there with his young wife, but their story did not end happily ever after because whatever story do I tell that does? <laughs> so none. The, none, ever. None, none ever. Never, mm-hmm. ever, ever. <laughs> the couple was struck with tragedy when she became fatally ill in the 1920s. Apparently to help ease her sickness and keep the house tidy, her mother came to live with them. Well, the story goes that the professor and the mother shared an attraction that grew into love, which devastated his terminally ill wife. Obviously. Like, Archie's face is already like, I'm disgusted. Yeah, it's a total scowl. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, perhaps her untimely death arrived even faster due to a broken heart. So, They do say that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. I have been a woman scorned. I have felt that fury. I have unleashed some of it. It's not pretty. And um, I'd like to think I would not do what this particular woman did in my (laughs) own death. So she made her husband pledge not to remarry her mother but once she took her last breath, he took vows shortly after with the mother anyway. Whoa. Mm-hmm. With the mother. With the mother. Wow. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. So the ghost was essentially left by a man she was in love with for her own mother. And their affair began in the same home she was bedridden and dying in. So you can kind of oh see... God. Where she would be bitter as fuck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some mediums say that her intense emotional distress began while she was alive. Not shocking. But she, her, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it keeps her soul gripped to this world from lack of finding peace. Which, again, not shocking. Yeah, she's going to die mad about it and stay that way for a long time. <laughs> I kind of don't blame her. But... Yeah. Apparently, this is a this is what has prompted chaotic paranormal activity over the years. Is there any other kind after this kind of life? Mm-hmm. Chaotic paranormal? No, there's no other kind. So it is reported often that items are thrown and turned upside down. Once a clock that was frozen for years abruptly chimed to life, and a former tenant said that they heard horrendous sounds in the night like someone riding a big wheel across a wooden floor overhead. (laughs) Um, For those of you in the generation of my son, a big wheel was a plastic tricycle that was very popular in the 80s for us kids. It was also very loud. Very loud. 
I'm all, that is my life right now. I don't know why she's haunting here. Like, go. (laughs) (laughs) If you can, please run. I really feel like you're. I have been here. My son has like just outgrown this stuff. Oh my God, it's so loud. Yeah. I feel like your son would probably like banish any ghost. They would be like, we can't handle this. He's got this taken care of. The competition is too fierce. Fierce. Seriously. (laughs) So the haunting was apparently so frequent that the post engineer had to seal the ghost's bedroom off at one point because she scared people out of it. Um, but eventually the room was reopened in the 1950s. No reason as to why or future activity has been reported. So, although these disturbing actions were not very ladylike, fuck that by that point, like my husband (laughs) married my mother when I died. Um, the ghost received her name, the lady, from the eight-year-old daughter of a class of a night of 19, no, The ghost received her name from the eight-year-old daughter of a class of 1960 graduate. Apparently the family lived there between 71 and 75. And the little girl and her younger sister occupied the haunted room during that time. The one little girl woke her parents up in the middle of the night, every night. And (laughs) she didn't like go into their room and wake them up, but she would be talking and having a conversation in her bedroom so loudly and exuberantly, it woke her parents up every night. So after getting out of bed to check on her, they discovered she was not speaking with anyone they could see. When the parents asked her who she was talking to, she would, she would say, I am talking to the lady, which was in the bedroom of, which was the bedroom where this bride had died. I don't love it. I just don't love any of it. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I also think, you know, Laura, you had mentioned last week in last week's episode, when I was talking about the, the person that had brought their black lab in and you were like, they're so sensitive. Kids are too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it used, Koya had imaginary friends Mm -hmm. and that's a very healthy part of child development. But at the same time, I am a believer in that they're not all imaginary. Like, Koi yeah. used to, like, be friends with Thomas the Tank Engine and Bob the Builder. And, like, those were his imaginary friends. But there were some imaginary friends that he had that I was like, that's not from a TV show. I just... <laughs> Zane was... Yeah, Zane was more like Koi where it was... Um, like role playing, you know, with yes. with with names that you were familiar with. Um, my niece did, however, come up with one that was outside of the realm of people that we knew, and um, yeah, that's... I, and I know it was absolutely role playing and what have you, but it did like creep me out for a hot minute, you know, where they're like, you can't sit there, Becky's sitting there. I'm like, what? <laughs> person what is happening right <laughs> like who is this oh, like you know yeah it does very um for people who think outside the box mm-hmm. right like yeah it, it does like we can attribute a lot to it really quickly <laughs> that probably <isn't> <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah it did get really weird really quick 
I think if any kid starts having an imaginary friend that's a pig named Jody, run. Uh, I mean, that's never a good idea. Burn the house down and go. And go. Don't write a book. Don't have a movie. Just change your names. Just change it all. (laughs) I don't love it. Um, Anyway, so this little girl had an imaginary friend, which apparently was a scorned wife. Not the best role model for your young daughter. Listen, even scorned wives need friends. Do they need little children as friends when they're dead? Who am I to judge? I mean, who are we to judge, (laughs) frankly? Um, So aside from West Point's most famous spirits, there were reports of other paranormal activity throughout the installation. Um, Apparently, there was an extra head in a cadet's group photo peering in from a MacArthur's barracks window. Frightened pets will often bark at nothing in officers' quarters. A cleaner on the night crew once quit his job after being thrown by a malevolent spirit in Building 606. Um, Other occurrences, uh, some have get one um, colonel gave this account that an 18-year-old plebe of G Company, 3rd Battalion, 4th Regiment, was awakened in the middle of the night on October 21st and observed what he thought was a figure coming through the door of his room. He woke his roommate, but by then the apparition had disappeared. The next night, the both, both of the cadets, cadets saw the apparition and reported it to their company commander, who spent a subsequent night in the room with them in an attempt to confirm the sightings. Uh, he observed nothing but admits to being a non-believer. The next night... Um, one of the first classmen, which is seniors for the Harry Potter Lee challenge. Right, right. Yes, yes. Um, from the battalion staff, he sent one of the seniors from the battalion staff to spend the night with the plebes. All three saw a figure partially extended out of the wall. It was the figure of the cavalryman, they said later. The upperclassmen reported that he had placed his hand on the wall where the figure had been, and the wall was extremely cold. That's brave. I would not be, oh, ghost just went through that. I'm going to touch that. No. (laughs) Not going to do it. Um, Another upperclassman then spent the night in the same room uh, with the plebes and saw the apparition um, of a face and a shoulder, which appeared to come out of the locker. Uh, sightings by successive, successively higher-ranking staff officers ended when a first-classman from the cadet regimental staff decided to spend the night in the room but was frightened off. Mm. Yes. Um, there was another gentleman who was taking a shower prior to moving into the room, and it was on the same floor as this other room. On leaving the shower, he noticed that his bathrobe was swinging back and forth on a hook where that shouldn't be happening. So it wasn't like necessarily like over the door and maybe somebody opened the door and the hook, it was just, the door was closed, the window was closed. So there was no breeze and there was no other person in the shower. He promptly put on his bathrobe and left the building. <laughs> can't really blame him. I mean, you really can't. Lastly, Colonel Dion 
says that corroboration of the apparition by several cadets does give a lot of believability. However, I think you have to be a believer to see them. So that is what I have about the hauntings of West Point Academy. That was pretty awesome. I loved it. I really like the, um, how much they have documented. How much they have like, me too. Mm-hmm. All of these stories written down and the date, you know, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, it's the military. It's this happened this time, this, you know, like, yes. And I love so cool. Yes. Like, it's there. Like that documentation mm-hmm. is there and it's verifiable. And it's, um, you know, with my mind, I'm like, yes, like, yes, let's yes. pull the receipts, pull all the receipts. Throw the archives. <laughs> yes. And I love, like, I love it. Invited Ed and Lorraine Warren down there to investigate and everything that she said she was feeling, he wrote down and gave to his librarian and said, research this, find proof of this. And she then did. I love that. I love that. Ursh, what is your thought on it? We've covered a couple of military installations on this show. We we have. And and I think that that was pretty excellent reporting. I mean, New York Times, like, I got my information from, like, these military cadets, I feel like, particularly in, I find it interesting, because we just recorded your Patreon conspiracy theory, and you cover something that the military is highly involved in, but there's so much denial in that story. But I find it interesting that they're going on record in this story of ghosts and hauntings. I find that that correlation interesting. And I don't want to get too much into Archie's story, but I just, I don't know. I think that that might be a conversation for us to have with our Patreons. Um, and well, if you think- want to know what Archie's story is, join Patreon. <laughs> I think, too, I mean, dealing with military installations versus a military university, you are really dealing with people in the military versus basically children, right? Are not quite as regimented yet. They're learning the ways of the military. Sure. They're going to be a little bit more free as young people are. You know, to talk about experiences, to not be as rigid as adult, as as adults we become, right? Sure. So I think that there's, you're gonna have those. Um, I think there's, there's a little, there's a certain care. amount of leeway, right? And more right. freedom, to, like talk about these things and oh, oh, god, share no. experiences. No, well, when it when, so? it when it comes to the government, it's always deny, deny, deny. Unless you get a Freedom of Information Act request, and then you stall it for five years. Well, see, that's the thing, too, is like, okay, so maybe it's a military school, maybe it's a military academy, maybe it's training our actual, like, armed forces. At the end of the day, if you go there, you are, like, you are associating your name and your character with the United States military, no matter what you're studying, what capacity you're in. So I feel like it's interesting that there would be 
so much leeway granted to a ghost story versus say a UFO story. I think that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm probably putting us on some sort of list right now by even saying any of this and then publishing it to the internet. But if that's the case, we've been on a list for at least a year now. (laughs) Yeah, Laura, we probably should have told you this before we actually asked you to join us. Sorry. Yeah, (laughs) thank you. It's fine. Also, I mean... So yeah, so what do you guys think of the hauntings, the ghosts of West Point? Like, I don't know. I know what I think. I've said it like a thousand times. I mean, obviously I delivered the story, so I believe in it wholeheartedly. But <laughs> talk to me, Arch, as a sensitive, Laura, as a skeptic. What are your takes? For me, I find this this one's pretty fascinating. Again, like I said, the um, amount of documentation, it, it, it's hard to come back from. Obviously I don't see it like with photographs or anything like that, but the fact that it's consistently documented um, and it's a military is, it's really hard to be skeptical. Yeah. Discredit. I mean, you know, I mean, these are upstanding young people who are dedicating their lives to their country. They're, and Obviously almost they're risking their reputations. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, these are, yep. I have nothing but the utmost respect for the people that serve in our military. Um, and I will say that ending this episode, um, my family is military. Um, I can't say enough about how much we love you guys and how much you sacrifice oh, oh, yeah. and how much you give. Mm. Totally and, on all parties here. Right. Exactly. And the people that g- are going into West Point are the top tier of, you know, academically, socially, you know, I mean, these yeah. are upstanding oh, yeah. young citizens oh, who definitely. want to give time to their country. So for them to have these experiences and then document them and it happens over and over again, it's kind of above reproach in some ways for me. Simply, And of course, like I can disagree with, Maybe this could be explained about, yeah, yeah. what have you, but Mm -hmm. the fact that it's so well documented, it's really hard to say anything. I mean, when West Point is calling in the Warrens, you're kind of like, it must be happening. (laughs) That's pretty crazy. (laughs) Right. And then like wanting, like they, then they wanting their archives to provide receipts. Right. Yes. Like when they're letting them find it. Yeah. Like, that's some hardcore stuff, right? Like, so yeah. that's, I mean, they are obviously aware that something is happening when they're letting, you know, mm-hmm. outsiders, let alone these type of outsiders. Yes. Who are have been called in question it. before. Yeah. Their reputation right. has been. And they're been. very public. Mm-hmm. They're not going to keep anything a secret. They're going to pull the receipts and then they're going to wave them. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like going to be hush hush. Yeah. Like Archie and I. Archie mentioned earlier, like, yes, and those are hush-hush. These are not hush-hush people. Mm-mm. When you invite them in, you know it's not going to be, like, this is Dr. Phil. You know, this shit is going to be out. Out there, so, yes. It's going to happen. So I, I find all of that, when you combine all of that, it's fairly compelling. Yay, I love it. I love the Cir- Circumstantially, the you know what I mean? Yeah, circumstantially, I love the but like, I find it, yeah. I mean, it, it, based on all of that and what the thought process that has to go into it and how it's been going on for yeah 
Years and years. Yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting. Arch, what about you? As the sensitive, what do you think? Laura just said everything I wanted to say. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I thought it was a great, great location. And I had absolutely no idea there was anything there. And so... Margaret, Paul, thank you so much for the listener suggestion. We had a great time, as you have heard, <laughs> discussing this. Too much fun. Way too much too fun. fun. Um, so, yeah, thank you, guys. Like, I, you know, we are always wanting to um, listen, you know, get your listener suggestions. We have a long list of them. Um, some of them we have found deserve to be mini episodes that we're going to give exclusively to our Patreons. Some of them, um, you know, like Eloise Asylum and, you know, West Point, we definitely are going to make regular episodes, but we do. We read every single listener suggestion and we do try to find a way to fit them all in. So please keep them coming. Um, We want to certainly um, encourage all of you to rate, review, and subscribe. Give us reviews. Let us know. That just just makes us more easily searchable on all of your favorite podcast stations. Um, If you like us, let us know. If you don't like us, what don't you like? What could we do better? Maybe we'll do it. Maybe we'll thank you for giving us a try and tell you to have a great life. It really just (laughs) Um, (laughs) But... Uh, yeah, so this was the um, history and the hauntings of West Point Military Academy. Uh, Laura, why don't you tell everybody where they can find us? Uh, you can find us anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, Apple, Spotify, um, anywhere you can find anything you love. Um, we are available on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, um, hoahpodcast.com. I think I got them all. Did I get? It? Did I do it this time? You did. You got them ah, all. Yeah. All right, everybody. Hey. <laughs> uh, this episode comes out on. Hang on, let me grab my calendar. Saturday, February twentieth, and Laura will buy everybody a coffee if her bio and picture is not up on the website by the release of this episode. <laughs> oh, I listen. I did write my bio today. So it's ready. It's going. I just need a picture that I can stand. <laughs> I need to Again, think about. I mean, if she doesn't have a picture, everybody gets a coffee. It's fine. Just like everybody knows, you have to take like 70 selfies to find the one where, you know, you only have a, a, the right amount of chins. And there's a lot of work that needs I mean, to be done. I mean, eventually the light fades. I get it. I absolutely get it's it. It's a lot of work. But everybody, I need to be in the golden hour. There are things. There are things that are happening, but everybody's getting a coffee next Saturday because I guarantee she probably won't have it. (laughs) Anyway, Archie, would you like to say anything to the fans, the friends, the listeners? Wow. (laughs) Hey, everybody. We love you. Thank you so much for listening in. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye.